And on today's episode... <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't funny! <laughs> Uh, it's fine. I almost started laughing when I started it, but then I rallied, Lauren. Oh, I rallied. I shouldn't have done that. I put my like my eye bone on your table. Ow! You jerk. <laughs> what did my table do to your eye bone? <laughs> oh man. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I hate when some of the episodes are just me laughing. I find you way too amusing. <laughs> Thank God someone does. Ready, graphics. Hi, I'm Jesse Mullins. And I'm Lauren Milberger. And this is FYI, the Murphy Brown Podcast. She's babbling about Babylonia. Boxes of boxes of yes. boxes of Girl Scout boxes cookies. Boxes of boxes. An invasion of her, her derriere space. <laughs> Are a highway safer in 89? And on today's episode, we'll be talking about Season 1, Episode 19, The Untrinkable Murphy Brown. Hi, this is Lauren. Hey, this is Jesse. And welcome to another episode of FYI. We just kind of said that. I know. We're trying so hard to be natural. Welcome to Sweeps. This aired May 1st, 1989. Look at you just throwing in that little nugget of information. May 1st, 1989 is also my mother's birthday. Well, you better remember it then. <laughs> yeah. My mother is only a few days older than Candace Bergen, and as a kid, I thought that was super awesome. It is super awesome. Mm-hmm. I like me the Tauruses. Why don't you tell people who directed this episode? Because I don't think they know. Oh, hey. Um, it's an up-and-coming director, mm-hmm. Barnett Kelman. Ah, yes. Yes. The Barnett Kelman. The, the Barnett Kelman of Barnett Kelman. Never heard of him before. N- ever. No. I, what a weird thing mm. to say in my mouth. The title of this episode is a play on the phrase, the unsinkable Molly Brown, which, which is based on the musical and then film, all about Margaret Brown, who posthumously was known as the unsinkable Molly Brown. Funny enough, Margaret Brown actually went by Maggie, by all of her friends, but somehow her nickname became Molly Brown. Well, she was sort of a personality, right? Yeah, but so everyone, probably- her nickname to everyone was Maggie. But somehow after the Titanic, it became the unsinkable Molly Brown. Interesting. Yeah, Most people will probably know this as the movie, not the play, starred Debbie Reynolds. Mm-hmm. And many people have referred to Debbie Reynolds as unsinkable. And she is. Yeah. It's a family trait. Uh, but yes, so that is um, that was someone who just couldn't be stopped. And you definitely would remember her from the movie Titanic. She would, They gave her a lot of credit. She was an amazing woman. She actually mm-hmm. like picked up an oar after helping people evacuate and get on lifeboats. She picked up an oar with the men. Like She was awesome. Now, because Unshrinkable is not a known title, we keep calling it the Unsinkable Murphy Brown. Or the Unshrinkable Murphy uh, Brown. Um, <laughs> as well as because we use Google Docs. I'm sorry, Google Drive. Yes. Spellcheck keeps correcting every time we write it. And poor Lauren, who has like, told all of you about her lifelong struggles with dyslexia, is constantly do- writing the correct thing, and then it's fixing it quote unquote for her and then <laughs> i just want everyone to give a, a quiet listener applause for lauren for you. saying the title of this episode <laughs> it's been a hardship it's and i been I, hilarious i'm so glad that i've i'm a survivor really this was written by denise moss and cy duquesne denise has actually sent us some of her thoughts yes and as we mentioned previously when we spoke about and so he goes us and denise got those episodes confused yes 
Many, many times. The dead people episodes. Yes. In fact, Denise said that Candace jokingly at one point referred to them as the death writers. Yes. (laughs) It's it's a never-ending source of fascination for Mm -hmm. humanity. And they were still freelance at this point. Which is why we don't have their bios in the book. Apologize. Something I thought that was really lovely that Corby told us in email about them was that um, they knew each other from my sister Sam. Mm -hmm. Um, And she felt they came up with the most interesting stories, great minds. And something that we always forget is that they didn't become staff writers until season three. Which is nuts. Nuts, yeah. I assumed it was like season two. Yeah, we we did. Yeah, Yeah. Corby corrected us. Yep. So this episode opens with, if any of you have been on our website, we have under our bios our favorite season one episode and our favorite season one song. This happens to open with my favorite season one song, which is Say a Little Prayer, which some of you... um, if you don't know the original, probably remember from My Best Friend's Wedding. It became very popular. The version I grew up with is the one that is used in this episode, which is the version sung by Aretha Franklin. But originally, that song was written by Burke Bacharach and Hal David for Dionne Warwick. And it originally peaked at number four on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 Pop Singles Chart in December of 1967. On the R&B chart, singles chart, it peaked at number eight. The concept behind the the song was that it is a woman's point of view and concern for a man of, in Vietnam, which I'm not sure a lot of people actually know. About I that didn't song. know. I learned that I think in high school because I was down, went down a trivia hole, and it just forever kind of changed that song for me. It returned to the pop and R and B top ten in the fall of 1968 uh, when it was recorded by Aretha Franklin and taken from her 68 album Aretha Now, and it changed. <laughs> what? I'm sorry. I just saw Lauren's note that says, Jesse will now speak about my best friend's wedding. <laughs> because it's so good. There's people with lobster hands in the background dancing to it. You can't say no. I know you so well. Rupert Everett and lobster hands in the background. I love you so much. Jesse will now speak about my best friend's wedding. Um, also, the, uh, the song was reused in the 2010 revival of Promises, Promises. It's a great song. It's so good to dance to. I love it. And it's interesting that it is Burt Bacharach because... Uh-huh. If it wasn't Aretha, we would not be hearing a lot of Burt Bacharach songs Absolutely. on Murphy Brown. Yes. Um, well, Aretha and then Austin Powers. Yes, some people <laughs> may, you know. <laughs> but Aretha is the reason that it was as Hey, big as listen, it was. Burt Bacharach also recorded a lot with Elvis Costello, yes. and I love Elvis Costello. He also wrote um, the songs from a movie I think I've talked about on the show before, Grace of My Heart. Yes. So quickly before we start, this episode uh, we got we were informed by Denise is kind of based on a Hollywood trivia. So she really credits Cy Duquesne. You know, she says that he's sort of a Trevor Trove of Hollywood stories and trivia. Um, And he had read one in, she believes Dick Cavett's book that in sort of, and if anyone's not familiar with Dick Cavett, amazing interviewer, particularly in the sixties and seventies, you've probably seen a lot of his interviews when they talk about, you know, someone like Betty Davis, Mm -hmm. you see a lot of, um, footage recently of Dick Cavett when there might be, you know, a profile on Betty Davis or Catherine Hepburn because a lot of people, you know, the end of their lives came on the show. He just interviewed Mm -hmm. a lot of different variety of people and was a big talk show host. So he had uh, someone on called Jerome, and I hope I say this right, Rodale. He was an early organic food pioneer and all-around health fanatic, and he dropped dead on the show. And what struck Cy funny about the story was that Cavett was such a good writer that when enlisting help from the audience, he sort of stumbled in the words. And instead of saying, is there a doctor in the house, you know, too cliche, it came out, is there a doctor in the audience? And they both sort of loved that. Mm -hmm. 
And they also really loved the irony that he was this practitioner of, you know, good health. And he literally was bragging on the show how he was going to live to be 100 because of the things that, you know, being a health nut. She wrote, it wasn't even close. Uh, (laughs) uh, The show never aired. But they thought, what if this happened to Murphy? You know, and the show is live, obviously. And what if she interpreted that she killed him through her tough questioning? Obviously, in this case, they didn't get a guy who was a health nut, but they did cast someone that they felt didn't look, you know, the The healthiest. The healthiest, yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. I read a little bit about what actually happened. And this episode never aired, by the way, obviously. Mm -hmm. But kind of like here in in the show, which we'll get to, he sort of just kind of slumped down. And they're like, are you, are you okay? You know, and then mm-hmm. they realized that, that he had died. Ugh. Well, let's talk about it, huh? Yeah. So we open with one of what I think is p- quite possibly my favorite opening sequence of this episode. So you're watching the studio from the same angle throughout the day. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. And what I love is we open with just one person in there. It's an empty studio. The janitor is cleaning. And there, there's like the drapes over the set pieces and there's a basketball hoop in the background. Then, and this entire time, Say a Little Prayer is playing. Then it fades and now we're in the first round of setup. So there's somebody working with a boom mic, somebody's cleaning above, there's a coffee table. At Murphy comes storming in looking a little sulky. <laughs> She's wearing a blue rain jacket and one of those like fisher caps, uh, fisherman's caps that they wear. And she very sulkily takes a donut out of a crewman's mouth, puts it in her own, and then just keeps walking. That's pretty awful, Murphy. Murphy, check your privilege. Um, <laughs> just, just looks like she's having a day. But that's who Murphy is. Exactly. She's like, no, I want this. So then we, we transition, and now, now the gang is there. And now there's a few more people. And we have Murphy. She's trying on uh, different jackets with the wardrobe person. She tries on a purple and a coral. You have John, Crewman John, uh, Frank and Miles playing basketball in the middle of the, the I space. I kind of love this. I love it. This is why I'm, I learned so much about, I'm, I'm also quite obsessed with behind the scenes thing. I mean, one of the reasons Oh yeah, that, we've talked about this. Yes, both I, I, I spend, I've watched the behind the scenes making of, of the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbits movies now more probably than the movies themselves because I love the production aspect. So watching this and seeing just the little quirky nuances gives me so much information about these people that we don't need any lines for. I love that Miles isn't really playing. He oh, keeps he's, sliding across. Yeah, he's, he's just kind of jumping. He's trying, but he can't get in the game. He's like the little mm-hmm. brother. Yep. So, and it, it is, he's just trying so hard to be a part of it. And the other two are actually clearly full out trying to play. So question. So with Corky, oh. I couldn't tell if Frank grabs her ass or just squeezes her sides. Oh, we're going to talk about it. So Corky is also there and she is on the same side in the, in the open space in front of the desks, but facing across the desk where um, it looks like maybe a line producer is standing. She's talking to another woman and as she's sitting there, if you watch Frank, he reaches around. And what I'm wondering is if he's supposed to be grabbing her ass or just uh, pinching her hips. Because it's it's yeah. wide. And it, I can't quite see. It looks like it might be a pinching accent, action. Regardless, it's a an invasion of her 
her derriere space. Yeah, and then she kicks Miles, thinking yeah. that so it's, it's him. So it's not a full hand grasp the meat of the buttock, but it's definitely like grabs at her, and then he takes off, and she turns around, and the next person, the person right in front of her, is Miles. So she kicks him in the lower back, which I love. I want to think that Frank didn't grab her ass. It doesn't feel it looks like a, It looks like more of a tickle motion. Yeah, like he was I trying to tickle her, her yeah, like hip, lower something back. Something you would do to your sister. Exactly. That's what it looks like. Yeah. It doesn't look. It doesn't look like a. a sexual invasion of space. Yeah, but the first time it did and I had to watch yes. it another time and I was like, oh no, I don't think he does. But her reaction is definitely an annoyed with her brother kind of reaction. Yeah. Like, she's just pissed. But she kicks <laughs> Miles in the back and what I love is Miles doesn't even do like a hey, he just looks around confused and then kind of just tries to get back into the basketball game. Like, <laughs> I think I think he's just training to do his best. Frank, after this, kind of works his way back in after shoving the blame over and uh, makes a basket throws up his fingers of victory and kind of does like a victory run. Yeah, he's pretty mm-hmm. proud of himself there. He's real proud of himself, which makes sense. And we transition and now we're about to go to air. Murphy has apparently chosen a like highlighter yellow green jacket. Yeah, neo yellow green. I just wrote you and all <laughs> neon yellow green. That's what I wrote. It is a neon. Jim is getting his makeup done. He's in the chair. He's got the thing where he's got the tissues over his I know, collar. I feel like people don't do that anymore. Oh, they absolutely do. Do they still do it? Absolutely. I yeah. feel like because uh, you don't want to get the makeup. I mean, they do it on women as well when they're getting their makeup done. You don't want to get makeup on the stuff. Uh, Frank is in the, in his corner spot, and he's, like, drumming at stuff with pencils. Corky, I love it. She's blowing on her nails, which I... It's one of my favorite enjoyable pet peeves about film and people, like, looking rushed is this idea that they just did their nails and now they're blowing on them. That convention to me is so silly because no way would she have just gotten her nails done. Yes. For for an airing. But I, I love you get the idea of these people. Um, Maybe it was a light gloss. Like a clear gloss? Perhaps. I just always am amused by it. I'm like, I, no one believes that you just got your nails done. Yeah. No one. <laughs> Miles and Murphy are talking. Uh, and she's looking at her note card. So they're clearly talking about her segment. And then it transitions. And then we're at showtime. Mm-hmm. And John is rushing everybody off the set while he does his countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. Yeah. And we talked about it before, which you also alluded to mm-hmm. and said is, I, it's so great to me to watch professionals working Mm -hmm. i mean obviously they're kind of not working but getting ready and the choice of the song i think is really interesting as well because obviously you could say on the surface we'll say a little prayer because someone's about to die sure but i think also this is sort of a ritual and maybe not necessarily religious but like a a sort of you know pre-time before absolutely and i feel like the song is reflecting Mm -hmm. more on that than necessarily what's going to happen next i i would agree with that i like just looking at what each we're learning so much about these characters about what each one of them needs to do to prep for their performance Mm -hmm. you know watching Corky in her workout clothes having conversation with somebody then heading off to do things and then watching you know Jim isn't there until it's almost showtime oh that's true he's there when it's finally he's in a suit he has the tissues he's getting everything finalized to go we don't see him playing basketball but we see the boys who need to just let loose we see Murphy who's picking out like what she's gonna look like to look the way she wants to and then going over her cards like we get an idea of what everyone's ritual is and I really like that yeah now I have a question for you and this has to do with um a a comment we received Oh, okay, great. So when Corky is speaking to who I think is probably a line producer. Okay. At first I was like, is that person a brunette or is that an Asian, like a woman of color who works on behind the scenes? Oh, I don't know. And I couldn't quite tell. And, but this was something that we were talking about, about wanting to see more diversity and not just in front of the camera, 
in this new production, mm-hmm. in the revival. So I was thinking, you know, beyond the the fictional cast and crew of the show, um, we received some feedback about hopes for the revival. So this this hope and call for for diversity within the within the new show is something that we brought up on our on our last episode talking about wanting to see more um, women in general women of color people of color and um, we there's a quote that Diane made that we had we had forgotten about that was brought to our attention yes it was and I, I think it alludes to what we were talking about when we were talking about the secretary and and my dinner with Einstein mm-hmm. and how rare that is so Diane actually did respond to that question in an article in Vanity Fair and she said that she felt that it was a shortcoming of ours. We don't want to make that mistake again. And I appreciate that she says both in front of and behind the camera. Yes, that's right. I Good. think that's incredibly important. Yeah. Um, because we need to see everybody everywhere. But something we've talked about is it's great uh, if you're seeing women and people of color represented more. But if the people telling the stories are just the same people as before, we're not getting the variety we're looking for. And the yeah. same thing with all levels of production. Yeah, and to be able to admit that is is great. Mm -hmm. And it it gives me a lot of hope for this production. Same here. So we head into the episode, and she is in the middle of an interview. Can I point out? Hmm. Sitting on the wrong side. I was about to say that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, she is sitting. And so what I wrote is that Murphy is on the left side for once. And it's. It's brilliant blocking for what happens in the episode. Oh, it's totally on purpose. It's, It's a genius move because no one can see him when he's dead. So that's why no one can figure it out. It's why she's the only one and she's stuck with it because everyone is behind this guy. Obviously, Judge is like Barbara Streisand and likes to be seen from a certain side and, and they had to change it up for him. And that's fine. It's okay. It just means he dies. <laughs> he dies. So she is grilling this guy who is a is a brilliant character actor that we've seen in many things. Mm-hmm. I Because she says Judge, I immediately start seeing him as Antonin Scalia. <laughs> Because I have a bit of a similar coloring. <laughs> She's in the middle of talking to him about basically his integrity in the judicial system. And she is calling him out on what was a controversial decision. The defendant's name was Kaminsky, and he was charged with five building code violations. And she says that with all this preventing like that, this judge let him off with a slap on the wrist. And she asks, is he sure that there were no personal associations? And he says, absolutely not. It was the nuance of the case, and this is why. And of course, everyone's already like, mm-hmm, because he looks, the man looks like a mobster. Well, I will say the man looks like a cliche mobster. There you go. And she says, that's interesting because you were on Kaminsky's yacht a week before this decision. What I love is they cut to the gang at the desks and they look so, Frank looks so proud. That's what I wrote. And they all do. They all look so satisfied. But, but Frank looks so proud of her. I wrote, Frank is damn proud. Yes. I, I put a little heart in my notes because it just weren't he was so proud of his his buddy i also then wrote did candace get a haircut yes it's shorter i and noticed I that i hate that i noticed that why i noticed that all the time no it's just i shouldn't say hate it's just i we've been watching it so closely i noticed she got a haircut i do that all the time it's fine <laughs> okay so the judge is dismayed and asks for evidence and she holds up pictures and asks if that is maybe enough. And what I love is they cut to Miles and John and they clutch each other behind the camera. <laughs> They're so, it, like, everyone is so into this because she is nailing this guy to the wall. So she holds up the pictures saying that I have these pictures. And she says, this one is you and with Mr. Kaminsky chatting on the bridge. And this one is you dancing with Mrs. Kaminsky. And then she says, and isn't that you at the buffet table? And hands all three of them. And he's looking at them. And he then turns around to look at the gang at the at the desks. And they all do these 
very interested eyebrow facial expressions like we're waiting I liked that there's like a challenge in their eyes. Like, no, please go ahead. <laughs> Respond. We, we're not here to help you. And it's great. What Murphy says is that what we're looking at, Judge, is a bench that has been influenced by power, blinded by special interest, and corrupted by greed. What is your explanation to the people you're supposed to serve? Mm. That line meant a lot to me as far as what's happening currently in our country. And then... He looks down at the pictures and stays looking down. This is what we see. We see he he looks down. He doesn't slump. There's nothing that happens. He just stays looking down. Mm -hmm. Massive heart attack. Was it? I have questions about this death. Really? What do you? Nothing happens. But that's what they said happened on the Dick Cavett show. Yes, but a massive heart. I mean, but for me, as somebody who's watching. It does look like he just looks down and then nothing happens to his body at all. Well, I think also then it would give it away that to Murphy that he's dead. At sure, first. but I'm saying from the logic police, he slumps down and stays looking down and nobody can tell what's going on. And Murphy, clearly not realizing what has happened and thinks maybe he's just staring at the pictures, starts to get real cocky. And she starts throwing out really confident phrases like, you can't stay silent forever. And we're waiting, Judge Ferris. And then like the many percussive things that happen in this show, thunk go his glasses out of his hands. And you can see on her face in that moment that she realizes what's going on. Mm, yeah, she knows. Um, it's, it's great. You see everything happen, but you also see her holding her stuff together. And she looks to Miles for help, and he just gives her like a thumbs up. And then what I love is that she goes through this process of trying to get people to realize what has happened without s- freaking out on stage. But she does mm-hmm. do this like panic little scoot away in her chair for a second. As if she's trying to get away, and she she tries to keep berating him, but by giving hints. So the judicial system in this country is dead. And I want to say to his credit, Miles does figure out that something is off. He's not figuring out what it is because yeah. what's wrong with her? Like he he looks he knows she's off her game somehow, and the little antenna go up, but not enough for him to do anything. I yet. love the way she goes dead, and like the side of her mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she throws it to them. Yeah. And so then she's desperate. She grabs a note card, turns it over, writes dead in capital letters on on the back. And then does this really great pro move of kind of leaning back and dropping her hand. So it just hangs Mm -hmm. down below camera, which is genius. And what I wrote is I go, she's babbling about Babylonia. (laughs) I crack myself up. That's great. I also wrote that she's flustered and babbling. Yeah. She she goes like, and I realized that I, when I heard the term Babylonia, I was like, good job, girl. And John, go John, king of the crew, crawls to her underneath camera angle and gets the card and brings it over and hands it to Miles, because John doesn't look at it, hands it to Miles, and Miles goes, dead. He's dead. Oh, God, he's dead. And then he does this amazing grand physicality where he, like, lunges to the side and then is gesticulating with his arms over his head. Go to saying, gym. saying, go to gym, go to gym. This is a very sort of miles. This is what Grant does really well. This sort of anxiety, this, of, this high, this like sort of graspy, sort of like craziness in his voice. It's it's classic miles. This is it's some great. of my favorite miles work, this kind of stuff. Yeah, me too. And because I'm an actor and I'm looking for these things, um, when they cut to the last shot that we see um, from Murphy's angle of Judge Ferris, the actor grips the paper for a second. Because I saw the paper move a little bit, and I was like, mm. oh, maybe it's going to fall out. And then I just saw his finger kind of go back and hold it. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. Uh, there's just a little movement of paper that's not supposed to be there. And 
she goes, Judge Ferris, it looks like your time is up. And then does that thing that Candace does when yeah. she messes up. She and just knows it and can't quite hold it. Yeah, it's the same thing she did when she said Dorkman yes. in the Einstein episode. It's but she great. doesn't say it again louder this time. Yeah, that's true. And she says, thanks for being with us and thanks for being such a good sport. So the Judge Ferris, it looks like your time is up. And then she like does that wincing thing. Mm-hmm. This is not one of my favorite episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk more about that. But there are a couple of lines that I just cackled with laughter. And for some reason, it's this one. It's just so messed up. <laughs> it is. And just the way that she like catches herself the candace it i just i really just howled out loud i I live for the uncomfortable humor in this episode that's what i wrote i wrote i i think i cackle at all the uncomfortable stuff like this yeah it's such a release Mm -hmm. so they cut to jim and jim's trying to close it off starting with thank you murphy for that lively interview but you don't really listen to the rest of it because the camera shot behind jim is on the judge's face and he slowly starts sliding off his chair in the shot behind it the oh, it's framing great. is genius great framing and that's the end of the broadcast <laughs> i thought particularly you would enjoy the frank fontana improvements in automatic safety yes <laughs> are highways safer in 89 probably <laughs> so we cut to the bullpen maybe a couple days later mm-hmm. or something like that. It's been enough time that people have noticed. Yeah. Corky comes in. I wrote, my God, that walk. Oh, love that Corky walk. She, she's determined going forward. Um, she's looking for Murphy because they were supposed to meet first thing this morning and she was going to help her with her piece. And now it's after 11. I wrote, yeah, women. Me too. I wrote, oh my God, she's helping Corgi. Yeah. And I, I'm sure that, you know, she begrudgingly, you know, w- was going to help her, but it's the fact that she d- is that helping her. That is a huge her. step. It's a huge step for her. Um, so it's the third day in a row she's been late. Frank is worried. Jim uh, says, you know, come on, give her a chance. Murphy's tough. Tough as they come. She's weathered many a storm. She'll weather this. And then the elevator opens, and Murphy's in the back. And it's a full elevator. And she goes, excuse me, pardon me, my floor. And I wrote, Murphy's me in my 20s. Oh, yeah. And then the elevator door closes. <laughs> and this is a stark contrast to, for example, my dinner with Einstein She's when the elevator opens. <laughs> and, you know, we've talked about Murphy coming off the elevator is, will become this sort of iconic mm-hmm. moment. And now the gang is in complete shock. I wrote, Frank looks disturbed. Yeah, <laughs> as he should be. His world is, his world has been rocked. <laughs> I mean, you know, as far as he knows, she may have lost her mind. Yeah, she may have. So the door opens again, and Murphy comes out, and she has two boxes of Girl Scout cookies. Now, it's sort of interesting. Not, not boxes. Two boxes oh. full of boxes of Girl Scout That's true. Two larger boxes, I like should... cases. <laughs> two cases of Girl Scout cookies. That's a better thing. She's not just, like, holding, like, two. No, there are so many. Excuse me. Two boxes of boxes of yes. boxes of Girl Scout boxes cookies. Boxes of boxes. <laughs> And I, I feel like the way that they've styled her is really on purpose because she has her hair sort of half up. And like Corky does. Yes. And she looks so young. So young. She looks like a baby. She does. And also, then, kudos, Candace. You look great. <laughs> I mean, she's always looked great. Yes. But dang, she could be playing a much younger version of herself in this moment. Completely. And then the, the pale colors just make her look even younger the with the makeup. Sweater. Yeah, she looks so angelic. She really does. And she's got that, like... She's got, for me, what look like crazy eyes because she's so gentle and her eyes are open like yeah. Bambi. And you're just like, oh, And oh, she no. apologizes, guys. She does. Murphy apologizes for being late. She's really sorry. And Corky is just shaken. She's like, it's okay. <laughs> and then I wrote, 
Frank is in shock. Shock, I tell you, shock. He's, yeah, he's horrified by this. So Murphy bought all of the Girl Scout cookies from this girl in the lobby. She, she was two cartons short of her quota. She looked so sad in her little hat and her green dress. I just love this entire segment. She's speaking so delicately. She is. It's you, so delicate. Were you a Girl Scout? I made it. I stopped at Brownies. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I went to my silver award. I I was a, even as a child, I was too busy for my own good. And so I real, when I realized that I had people I could get the cookies from, mm. I decided to focus my time on the, the theater arts and tennis and all these things that I was my, already doing. My mother was also the leader, so that helped. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everyone said, the silver award would look great on my college application. Did it? Mm, I don't think so. <laughs> I just remember being forced to get the silver award. I had to d- spend a lot of weekends at the recycling plant yeah. helping. It kind of sucked. Hey, my nieces are Girl Scouts, and I'm super proud of the work they're but doing. But recycling so is not, great. Not to besmirch the Girl Scouts. No, they are wonderful. I lo- oh, no. I loved being a Girl Scout. Yeah. I loved it. I really did. Mm-hmm. particularly loved the cookies. Mm-hmm. I love those cookies. Yeah. And him coming up to one of my favorite lines. So, so, so Murphy, she feels that, you know, she, she, besides the point, is that she wants to show her appreciation to the staff. She takes a box of cookies. She goes over to Marv. Marv, thanks for washing out those coffee mugs last night. Takes another box over to Fran. This is the first time we know her name is Fran, right? Yeah. 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 And she goes, Fran, you're a kind and decent person. Have a box of Thin Mints. I think that's a pretty good standard for life. I want to put that on a sticker. Kind and decent person. I Here's a that. box of Thin Mints. <laughs> yeah, we all should be given a box of Thin Mints for being a kind and decent person. I don't think there should be a reward for that. I think we just should be. Well, yes. <laughs> That's true. I'm we just gotta being start, funny. We got to start somewhere, Lauren. Start with the Thin Mints. Just trying to be funny. I'm supporting your choices. Thank you. I appreciate yes. you supporting my choices. Toward my, like, Gene Roddenberry goal of equality in the world. Oh, nice. So she thanks her friends for being a really wonderful group of friends. She's over the Judge Ferris thing. She tells them, you know, stop sitting around with these long faces. We've got a show to produce. I wrote, boop, boop, beep, doop. It's like, we've got a show to produce. I was like, it's she- so, ha. Ah. I wrote, she's Judy Garland, and she's going to get a barn. Exactly. Let's put on the show, Mickey Rooney. We've got a show to produce. I was like, <gasps> I was actually a little disgusted. <laughs> so she goes to meet her new secretary, who is just watching a soap opera on the most 80s huge television set. The only thing I wrote was her, because the only thing she says is, that is not your baby. Yeah, so we know she's watching a soap <laughs> totally. opera. But this reminded me, I've sort of forgotten, is that my family had this sort of yellow sportsman, like like a, like a Walkman type mm-hmm. thing, TV. Mm-hmm. And it was black and white, mm-hmm. and we'd bring it to the beach. Mm-hmm. But during the non-summers, I would sneak it up into my room and watch David Letterman. Our TVs were way too big for me to be a transport anywhere. It was like... It was, there were the big CR ones. No, it was a travel. Yeah, we did not have travel TVs. That was not a luxury we got in the Midwest. <laughs> it was it was a big deal that we got it. Yeah, that is some that is alien to me. Miles comes off the elevator and really just chews her out because he got chewed out by um, financial affairs because Murphy decided that she needed to have a corned beef sandwich flown in from the stage deli to Reykjavik. But Murphy's fine with it. You know, she doesn't blame Miles for for being upset and she's sorry. You know, she wasn't thinking and it'll never happen again. Miles is afraid that she's going to do something later, like crazy glue on his toilet seat. But Murphy thinks that that would be very childish. So Miles still thinks, so it's not crazy glue? Does it involve farm animals? So he's a little, he's thrown, but Murphy realized she needed to talk to Miles about her Brad Stockton interview. Frank is so impressed. 
you know, uh, no one's been able to get word one out of him since his indictment. She'll eviscerate him. But she doesn't want the interview. She thinks that Frank should do it. In fact, when he says, you know, that, that she's going to, you know, set him on fire. Mm-hmm. Is that what, what he says at some I point? I think so. Um, he's been milking old people out of their retirement. And she, that makes her very uncomfortable, you know, that she's, that she's going to hurt him in some way. Um, and everyone's, you know, really shocked. But Murphy, you know, doesn't want this sort of plum assignment. She really thinks that Frank should do it. And then she asks Frank how his mother is. Which never happens. Yeah. Uh, in fact, she's never met his mother, we'll find out. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. She she pulls out a box and it's wrapped and she gives it to Frank because she's bought Frank's mother a Hummel figurine. Ooh, Hummels. Kind of a, Hummel, Hummel figurines will kind of become a little bit of a running joke. They will. They're, and they're still jokes. They, um, they joke about Hummels in Psych. It's a funny thing to say, I guess. And they're creepy. They're a little creepy. They're creepy little little people. So Phil comes off the elevator. Hey there, Murphy. (laughs) He's delivering her lunch personally because she hasn't been down. Uh, And I'm assuming she hasn't come because she knows what Phil's going to say. Yep. She doesn't want to hear it. Mm -hmm. She's, you know, she's sort of inverted into herself. You know, but she's been busy, 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 you know, nothing, nothing reason. And, And he's like, Murphy, it wasn't your fault that that guy croaked. And says that someone once died in Phil's, you know, you know, it was all you can eat night. He decided to do big, mis- biggest mistake for Phil. The last thing he said was, oh, boy, burritos. I kind of just love that. I mean, it's true. Yeah. And then we cut to the townhouse. Um, so uh, so before we, we move on the episode, uh, we have another set of thoughts from from Denise um, about the, the concept behind this episode and why to do it. Um, she said, I think we came up with the idea that that it made her question herself to the point of going soft. I'm pretty sure we came up with the selling of Girl Scout cookies. We may have even had the therapy idea. Not sure. In those days, we were still freelancers when there was such a thing. And this is great what she talked about pitching the idea. So they had been, she says they'd been given advice early on, early in our pitching career, to walk in with enough story ideas that you'd be thrown out before you ran out, which I love. Um, Diane would like something and we come back with a story beaten out the way we saw it going that's how she worked with all freelancers and i think it's a great way to have people pitch even on staff it forces you to work out an idea from the beginning to the end without the help of a table of writers Uh, it makes you a better writer in the long run though it was nerve-wracking to say the least so what came from us and what came from the table after that is fuzzy on her end yeah, but that's really interesting because it's another example of constraints forcing you to be more creative and yes. be a better uh, artist. Mm-hmm. And I, I love the idea of have more yeah. than... Be overly yeah. prepared. I love that. So we are at the townhouse, and <laughs> townhouse is looking a little different at the moment. Uh, there are covers over everything. All the furniture is pushed to the sides, and Murphy's actually sitting on the back of her couch, which has like a slipcover drape thing over it. And Eldon is sanding the floor of her living room. And she is sitting back there reading, going through stuff, acting like nothing's happening. And Eldon is making so much noise. I wrote, for Christ's sake, Eldon. That's what she should be saying, but she's not. <laughs> and it, it's and I've worked with floor sanders before. It is so loud and so annoying to be around. And what I like is that he keeps eyeing her. Clearly, Eldon has figured out this is not okay. He's eyeing her. He finally stops. Then he looks at his watch and goes, hey, would you look at what time it is? It's late and I'm sand- still standing. And he does this like hand slap on his thighs like a boy, oh boy. <laughs> He's like, talk about inconsiderate. Why someone ought to tell me to go home or something. <laughs> and 
And she goes, oh, it's okay. No, you said it needed sanding. You're just doing your job. And then she just, she does this little spin off the back of the couch, gets off the couch and just goes right into the kitchen. And you can tell he's, he, like Frank, is disturbed. Mm-hmm. So he exasperatedly says, I may have to take apart your shower next. And there's a ding dong at the bell. And he's like, that could take days. And, she goes, and from the kitchen, she goes, okie dokie. <laughs> I don't think okie dokie is in Murphy Brown's vocabulary. I'm not sure she'd ever said it before. Eldon is like grumbling to himself as he's wont to do and opens the door and Frank is standing there. And the first thing we hear is, how is she? And Eldon goes, not good. She's in the kitchen making Rice Krispie balls. The way that Rob Pastorelli says balls, balls, pretty damn funny. It's good. And I'm glad that it wasn't treats. Yes. Balls is balls. just funnier. It's always funnier to have balls. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, so he says he's tried everything. The woman is ill. And what I love is this next section of the two of them. I wrote that they are acting like they're watching war. Like they are. Yes. They are so intense. Like they're watching just the they have witnessed something that is so messed up. He says, yesterday, I caught her listening to a Captain Tennille album, which I love the fact that the second he says that, the audience is losing it. They've lost it, yeah. And Frank looks so concerned. He says, when it got to Muskrat Love, and his voice catches, like he's emotionally affected by it, he's like, she sang along. I laughed. This is the second. I laughed so hard because my family loves that album. I know every song on that album, so I know exactly how annoying I <laughs> that would be to Murphy. Again, there's three times here where I just cackled. Oh, I was crying with laughter. That was the one. And Frank buries his head in his hands. And at first I thought it's because Joe was breaking, but it's, no, that is absolutely part of the they're witnessing war thing. So did I. Mm-hmm. And, and I watched again and I, I went, no, no, he's not breaking. But I, I wrote, Frank buries his hand in his face. Or is Joe laughing? The world may never know. Oh, God. It's so, they're just so serious. And Murphy comes out, and she's she's holding, like, a wooden spoon, which doesn't make sense if she's making Rice Krispies, I don't think. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Oh, wait, the butter. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. So she comes out holding a wooden spoon, and I wrote, her apron looks like that 1980s Betty Crocker book all of our moms had. I wrote the 1980s pasta sauce ad. Mm-hmm. She's telling Frank that she's fine. Eldon just kind of walks off into the back, and he even kind of puts his hand to his face for a second. And she said, um, no, I'm fine. Actually, um, she was on the phone with Gerald Ford's publis- publicist, and she thinks that now is a good time to reevaluate his presidency. The 70s are very hot, Frank. The 70s are very hot, Frank. Frank turns to her and says he needs to talk. And he says, buddies, heart to heart. I love that. Oh, it's, I love them in this episode. She says she has work to do. Um, she picks up this book. She says, I haven't even got to the part where he fought the battle against swine flu. And Frank goes, oh, come on. Which I, he is done. And I love that he's not tiptoeing around. It reminds me of the... Um, CJ Off the job. Oh. Off the oh, job experience. Yes, the scene When he is, shows up to like get her out of a funk. This scene is very remnants of that scene. Except that there is a uncomfortably kind of sexual twist to this pep talk. <laughs> which we will talk about in a second. Yes. Um, Murphy starts saying that she wonders if she goes over the line sometimes. She says, just because I'm a journalist, does that give me the license to push people past the brink? It's mm, really good. And Frank immediately stands up and says, no, we're supposed to push for answers. That's what we always do. And except that this time someone happened to stop living. It doesn't mean that, that it doesn't mean that you're responsible. And what I love is that phrasing mm-hmm. that he, he stops, he takes the pause and he goes, and someone happened to, Stop living. It's so compassionate the way he says it to her. Because he t- that particular phrasing takes away any connection to her. Mm-hmm. It takes away any responsibility. It's like someone didn't die. Someone did whatever. It was that someone just stopped living. 
they did it, their body did it, you didn't do it. Which I, I just, it's such a particular phrase and I love that. Uh, and Murphy says, I know, I just can't seem to get back on track. This is a really great sort of moment, I think, that she admits that. Yeah. She, she intellectually gets it. Yep. I love it. Yeah, she knows that she's being ridiculous. But she just can't seem to shake it. Yep. And Frank says, I, I didn't want to bring this up, but have you thought about seeing someone? Hmm. She, says, she like throws her glasses off and stands up and she says, you mean a shrink? And she says, she then says, no way. And I love the, the number here threw me a little bit because I had to go back and re-listen. It, I spent my 31 days at Betty Ford. Oh, yeah. I thought she said 30 days. Me too. She and I was like, 31. wait, it is 31. No way. I spent my 31 days at Betty Ford. I learned everything about myself that I'll ever need to know, which we know as fans of Murphy. No, you didn't. No. Um, I mean, how many times can you relive your childhood? Talk about that dream where you're tumbling down a train tunnel and you end up falling in, onto a bed covered with cats and Siskel and Ebert are there. I appreciate your concern, but I can work this out myself. I also appreciate that, is that she thanks Frank. Yeah. She's you know, like, I know you love me. Yeah, but let, no. let me just deal with this myself. And sometimes that's what you have to do in a friendship. I also love her ridiculous dream. Uh, starring Cisco yes. Nebel and, and some cats. A recurring dream. Yes, she doesn't like trains. Um, well, she's had train dreams before. Yeah, but I think that they're not the best. Well, she did have a train dream about Jerry. Yeah. Uh, so Frank then does the thing where that I love that they do in theater and in and in television where he like gets to her side and starts to like visually paint a picture yes for her with his hand it's very like musical theater like look this way look at this and he of the interview she did with Reverend Billings he says you have I know we love this because of our logo you have on your favorite red blazer the one that makes you say I am the huntress and I remember that when we talked about respect I couldn't remember what episode it was from but I I I I knew that she makes her feel like the huntress. Exactly. And, and you know it's that particular suit jacket because mm-hmm. it's a it's a hunting jacket. Yep. It's amazing. Ugh. And she doesn't she she asks him to stop. And it's it's starting to get very heightened and it's like she's a junkie avoiding the temptation, which mm-hmm. makes sense for her. And he says the lights are beating down, then you feel your pulse start to quicken. And this is when I started being like, um, this is getting um very descriptive, Frank. And he's a, and then you ask him the question. And she's like, I don't, I don't remember. I don't know. And he said, what was that? And she, and she just, it's the like, oh no, I, I couldn't possibly, but I just, maybe I might give into this. It's, have you ever been to the Bahamas? Have you ever been to the Bahamas? And he goes, oh, that's not the way you said it last, that night. Have you ever been to the Bahamas? No, but the, here's the thing. Okay. The way he says, oh, it's not the way you said it that night. I was like, <laughs> it's like an interrogation in a sex dance. And I am. <laughs> it kind of is. I'm both very into it and very uncomfortable that I'm watching it right now. Because Candace Bergen is doing this amazing where she's like breathing and looking around and trying. Not, they are selling. She is fighting it. It is. It's very. It's a very wonderful funny. scene between the two of them. And yes, and then he says, keep saying it. And he says, make her say, he, he tries to make her say it the way she said it then. And she does another. Have you ever been to the Bahamas? Sounds like a real wuss question to me. Have you ever been to the Bahamas? And then he has her say it again and again. And then all of a sudden Murphy is back and she's phrasing it the way she said it. And she's like attacking, being like, and goes off. And then Frank whips around and starts to pretend to be the reverend. Mm-hmm. who is just breaking beneath this and you can see just the stuff you can see the fire between them and then they smile at each other and he goes how do you feel the hair on my arms are standing on end and he goes you want that Stockton interview don't you I want it bad 
how bad. And I wrote, this is like the scene in Off the Job Experience. Yes. He's, he's dogging her on. He's getting her to do it. She just goes real bad. And then he says, now, then get to work. And she goes, I'll be ready. And he just says, I know you will. And I wrote, friendship. I love them. And as he's walking away, she kind of quietly thanks him. Mm. And he does the best Frankism, which she yeah. goes, what did I do? And waves her away. Yeah, it's the, the arm, the waving. And she's like, what did I do? And walks and waves her away and walks yeah. away and it's just the i didn't you did all of this this was you don't they, worry about it it shows how well they balance each other as, yep. as friends and why they work yep i just wrote i love him so much yeah so we cut to the studio and uh jim goes there he is brad stockton a pathetic piece of humanity mm, i love you jim yeah uh then murphy goes don't worry Jim, he's shark bait. She's ready. They're, you know, psyching her up. Mm-hmm. Is that sort of a olive green, um, shiny suit suit thing? Kind of like the blue yeah. one that she has? Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Mm-hmm. So Miles found out that someone opened an inflatable raft in his car. <laughs> Frank smiles. Murphy looks at Miles and he just gives her this big bear hug. He's Welcome, like, Welcome back, back, Murphy. Murphy. Frank looks like he might laugh. The way that, that Grant lifts up from the hug and puts his oh. hand on Candace's face. I wrote, this feels like Grant and Candace. This doesn't it feel does. like Grant. It's, it's such a, the actors loving each other. Yeah, because mm-hmm. they, they obviously have, you know, we know have a mm-hmm. really, everyone has a great relationship, but they have a very special chemistry. You know, John tells Murphy, you know, nail him, Murphy, we're counting on you. I love that. It's just yeah. like teamwork. Everyone hates this guy. The show starts. Um, the interview segment is called The High Cost of Success. Mm. And the interview, you know, is going well, but then Stockton starts to cough. Well, okay, so what I like is as the interview is going well, they do the same thing they did in the first episode and they cut back to the gang for a second. Mm -hmm. And Frank does this little, like, shoulder bump to Jim, like, but she's back. And then Stockton coughs. Yeah, and I wrote she kind of turns into, like, a mother. Are you all right? Yeah, I was like, she loses her edge. Did you want some water? And she completely loses it. She she looks like a deer in the headlights. She looks at Miles. She can't seem to speak. She's She's stuck. She's so thrown. And so she then goes into a rant um, because um, frozen yogurt is one of the, I guess, the, sw- the big swindle mm-hmm. that he did to get money out of a lot of these old people. Uh-huh. And so she decides to get him on that. You know, the, the, the calories. Yeah. The, <laughs> we need to get to the bottom of frozen yogurt. You know, is it really, it can't be true that it really has less fat than ice cream. <laughs> And I just quickly wanted to do a frozen yogurt sidebar. Oh, good, because always. people, I think, don't realize how popular frozen yogurt was at this time. Oh, my God. It was everywhere. And so I was obsessed with TCBY. Oh, yeah. TCBY reminds me of my childhood and Murphy Brown. And almost every weekend, we would go to TCBY, and I would get the uh, golden vanilla, Aww. French golden vanilla, mm-hmm. uh, with butterscotch chips and M&M's. Oh, what a lovely little combo. And I would particularly ask for them to put it in the shake cup mm-hmm. because it wasn't styrofoam. You are, you are Eldon. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to Murphy being in group therapy. Best. A Harold Ramis lookalike, which is what I wrote Stop. down. Stop. <laughs> no, I literally have slow pan to guy I thought was Harold Ramis until there was no applause. <laughs> 
he looks exactly like a young Harold Ramis. He really does. And he's talking about having a um, anxiety attack over picking stereo equipment. He can't make decisions. He can't make decisions. Murphy sort of looks off to the side. This really great comic take, like, what is happening? Beautiful sort of a yellow, sort of canary yellow mm-hmm. jacket. Um, we have this sort of young, dumb-looking biker guy. I put biker emo kid. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much says something to the effect of we're all dying, which gets a really big laugh. And I'm like, I don't think it's that funny, guys. But I think he was probably really funny on set. Probably because his next line is really funny. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I I think, you know, this might be a second take and people are laughing at something that's coming next. And they they also know know that this is this guy's joke. And we have an older man. We have a mother, Joan, who says, big wow. You want to have an anxiety attack? Try taking four kids to Pizza Hut. So I'm going to need to pause you there. Uh, the older man is not just an older man. That is Robert Trabor. Oh, I thought he looked familiar. Robert Trabor. Um, I knew some people may know from Son of Sam as the bad guy. Oh my God, he's but so great in that film. More importantly, I know him as Salmonius from Herc and Xena, as a very big, flamboyantly ridiculous salesman in the Herc and Xena verse. I. This will shock no one. Spent most of my childhood rushing home so that I could watch Hercules and Xena back to back. They are my everything. And I loved Salmonius, also hated him in some episodes. But regardless, I knew Robert Trebor very well. And when I was working at the last place I was ever a server in New York City, in Times Square, I was working some random like midweek shift. And I was working in the upstairs section of the restaurant. I was by myself. And... This duo came in and sat at the front windows, and I walked over, and the second I looked at the man of the two, I realized it was Robert Trebor. And I lost my mind, kept my cool, because I'm a professional, and I got their stuff, I just kept staring, and I kept double-checking, I kept finding reasons to kind of go in the vicinity so I could get a different angle to make sure that I was right so I could hear his voice. It was definitely Robert Trebor. So I spent the entire dinner, early dinner, you know, serving them, and they're being perfectly nice and whatever. And the funny part is, is at this point, I have met some of my major heroes in New York City. I have come across them. I've talked to them on the phone. I've done various things where I've met heroes who are the big names that everyone and listening would recognize. This was the one that made me so nervous. And maybe it's because I had a one-on-one thing going with them, whatever it was, but it was so specific to my fandom and my childhood that it felt incredibly personal. And so I did something that I normally don't do. And as I was dropping the check, I think I was actually bringing the finalized check because I didn't want to say anything before they looked at a tip or anything mm-hmm. like that. I didn't want to make them feel like they had to like owe anything. Oh, yeah. Um, so I was bringing the final check and I let it set it down. I was like, I'm I'm so sorry to uh, to interrupt. I just wanted to let you know that I'm a huge fan of yours. Um, Salmonius was a huge part of my childhood and I just have loved your work. And he was very he was very sweet about it and he's like, thank you so much. You could tell he was the type of guy who doesn't get recognized that often, and he was just very very kind and I walked away and I was like okay I'm not fired nobody's mad at me I did it and I move on and then I go and pick up the check after they have left and there is more of a tip than there was to begin with and there was his business card for Palindrome Productions because his stage name is a palindrome he changed it from uh, Robert Shankman to Robert Trebor and on the back is written a cheery day from Salmonia signed Robert Trebor and I still have it and I'm showing it to Lauren right now and she looks oh, like she's gonna Jesse. cry how kind he's just one of my favorite New York stories that's 
That's so sweet. And I was so excited to see him in this episode because I didn't realize it was him. I'm glad that you brought him up because he was so familiar mm-hmm. and I couldn't realize what I knew him from. And there were so many people to talk about for this episode. So I, I focused on some other people. Like we, I realized we didn't talk about Stephen Culp. Oh, my plays gosh, Brad Stephen Stockton, Culp. or I like to call him Speaker of the House Halfley, son of a bitch, I've on the West Wing. That guy whose face I think is shitty from the 90s, and I hate him. I love hating him on screen. So I was on the television without pity message boards a lot in the, I in the day. I loved Twop. It was the best. It's best. We used to refer to him, I think was on that board, because he played uh, Speaker of the House Halfley mm-hmm. uh, on the West Wing as... Halfley, son of a bitch, mm-hmm. uh, because he was just such an awful person. And he's Bree's first husband on Desperate Housewives. He's, except for playing RFK and JFK, mostly played kind of horrendous people. Mm-hmm. But he's very good at it. Oh, yeah. No, he's just, I'm sure he's a very nice man, but I love hating Stephen Culp <laughs> on screen because he plays such horrible people. He's horrible on the West Wing. We, we, oh, yeah, we hated him. Um, randomly speaking of West Wing, mm-hmm. um, my Robert Trabor, um, play the son of Sam in Out of Darkness opposite Martin Sheen. Oh, hey. Yep. Um, and I'll, I'll share something. There's, an, there's a very interesting article from 2014 about Robert Trebor, uh wrote a script about his uh, brush with leukemia. Oh, interesting. And um, which he is, he's fine, guys. He was just in uh, Hail Caesar in 2016. He's doing fine. Um, but I'll share that because I think it's a very interesting story But to talk about later. But anyway, yeah. that's, that's Jeffrey at at group therapy is my personal hero. That's great. Robert Trebor, who's just a class act through and through. And Joan, the mom, is Mary Catherine Wright, mm-hmm. who is another one of those sort of character actors. I think mostly for the theater you might know her, but yes. she's very specific and very distinct as she is in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, most recently, she was on Search Party. She was on Picket Fences and Empty Nest. And I, I feel like more people will probably know her as the nurse in Awakenings. Mm-hmm. But her big thing was in 1981, she was in an off-Broadway production of Christopher Durang's uh, Sister Mary Ignatius Explains It All for You. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back to the episode. So, so Jeffrey has actually been coming to therapy for five years. And so he doesn't feel like an outcast anymore because there's someone new. Great way to put in that information, right? by the way. Really, really great. Oh, well. And she hasn't talked the entire time. <laughs> Which surprises no one. No. Well, Joan slash mom, I wrote, because we don't know, know their names till as it goes along, so yeah. I'm typing as we're going. Joan has opinions. Yes, <laughs> she does, and I'm going to mention something that I think about her later. Um, she, oh, I know what you're yes. going to say. So Joan doesn't think that Murphy wants to be here at all, that she'd rather be skiing in Aspen with Don Johnson. And she goes, no, no, I, I, I want to be here. And the young guy goes, why? You'll never get better. <laughs> this is when I started loving him. <laughs> no, no, I'll tell you when I really loved him. The, the doctor feels that the group is treating Murphy differently because she's famous. And it doesn't mean she doesn't have problems like the rest of us. There you go. Mm-hmm. And then the young kid, again, this was my, my third big laugh of the entire thing. She goes, she, ki- she killed that guy on TV. I did not. <laughs> then uh, Jeff confesses his love to Barry. The Harold Ramis well, lookalike. What I love is he, he's, he turns to me, he's like, Murphy, I care about you. I love you. And then looks to each person one at a time and yeah. says, I love you. And then he says, he loves Barry most of all. And he says, but I mean it. I love you. And he goes, there, I said it. Finally, I'm free. He has this amazing moment. It's really great. And what I love is that it's not played for the laughs that he's gay. It's no. played for the laughs that he's just making the guy uncomfortable. He's just making him so it has nothing to do yeah. with the fact that he's... Now, Joan makes it about the fact that he's gay, which yeah. I know you want to talk about in a mm-hmm. second. But I just love, again, this is something we have talked about with uh, 
with situational comedy mm-hmm. is that he the funny is not in the the line reveal about who he is it's it's what he is doing the way he is overdoing the way he is leaning over the arm of the chair toward Barry yeah. the way Barry is just trying to survive this right now because I think Barry kind of already knew and then just the release that Jeff gets to then have in this breakthrough that he finally got it yeah. out there and he's just so happy he's not even waiting for a response he's no. just so happy that he got it out so Joan isn't happy she says a horrible line which I don't feel as the writers, I feel as the character. Yes, no, I agree. Yes. Um, We're are, supposed to dislike her. We're supposed to. She goes, there are enough fruits in the world already, which is a terrible word, um, in this context. And I wrote, Joan is bitter and a little homophobic. Yeah, she's, I think, a bit of a bigot. Yes. <laughs> uh, and she goes, that's why women turn bitter. That's why women kill. And she just looks at Murphy. Okay, I had a fourth laugh. That one was actually that really funny. That one slayed me. I was like, that's why women kill. kill. And then Murphy says that she, she would like to say something. And she doesn't understand how this is supposed to help her, you know. And the doctor asks the group how it's supposed to help her. And they give her this big hug. And I love that they, because we need to see Murphy and not everyone else, they kind of all lower their heads as they hug her. And so it's like she's just like in this mass of like people. It's so cute. She's super weirded out. <laughs> Candace's eyes are just fantastic. Um, her eyes in this entire scene are yes. great. She tells so much without saying a word. Oh my God. And she says she doesn't have time to sit around and hug all day. She has a job, <laughs> which I also really love. You know, she wants to talk about her problem, get her answer, and go. This is classic Murphy. Yep. She doesn't want to waste a lot of time. She wants it fixed. She wants it done now. She doesn't want to put the work into it. She just wants it done. Yeah. And this is a major failing of Murphy and why she, unfortunately, I think, is not able to keep a lot of relationships. Oh, yeah. And we'll see more about that as we go into the revival. Mm. Murphy's problem with therapy is just a bunch of yakking about yourself for a few years. And I thought it was interesting that she thinks it's very self-indulgent. And the way that she says it, it sounds very serious. I don't think... Let's face it, it's all pretty self-indulgent. Yeah, usually when Murphy is hiding something, we can tell. Mm -hmm. And I I think she really does believe that. And for someone Mm -hmm. who's so self-involved, it's interesting. But then again, she doesn't necessarily like to talk about herself. She holds in her feelings a lot. So that could be it. I just want to say, for the people listening... Mm -hmm. I think everyone should be in therapy. Agreed. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It's fantastic. As is proven by how this conversation goes. So, uh, so what, what's also interesting is the doctor says that she feels that people need a safe place, mm-hmm. very modern word right now, to share their feelings, that Murphy's just afraid to share hers. Yes, she is. Murphy is afraid. Yes. And then Murphy begins to berate the doctor as if it's a hard-hitting interview. So I have a couple things. Yes, please. One... I have what the doctor says back to her right now because I'm, I love it so much. Please. And I also want to talk about Janet McLaughlin. Me too. The brilliant actress. I'm so excited to talk about her. her. Kudos for the fact that Murphy went to a a practitioner of color. Yes. Because it's great to see so, it's great to see someone of color in a in a power position. I agree. I was very excited about this casting. Not just a secretary, not someone in the background, but like a power position mm-hmm. who actually owns her as well. So the line that she says to her, which I love, because Murphy's starting to berate her and try to interrogate her, like she's back on the set, mm-hmm. is the first thing she says is, "Do your research, Murphy." In the very like, bring it, and, and I love I. Because that's the that is the thing that's going to get Murphy. That's how you know this woman yeah. is, is good. It's she like, treats everyone differently, yeah. and she knows this is the tactic that's yeah. going to help Murphy. And also, she knows that accusing a journalist of not doing their research, that's going to call her. So she says, do your research, Murphy. It took me eight years at Stanford to practice what you call garbage. I've helped an awful lot of people. 
And I just like the way that Janet says this line, I completely believe that she is a successful professional who is not afraid of Murphy Brown. Mm-hmm. And I love it. So Janet um, unfortunately passed away in 2010 mm-hmm. at the age of 77. Um, but she left quite the, the filmography behind her. Um, I know her first from We Talked About This. We both had a favorite 90s comedy, Heart and Souls. Oh my God, guys, please see Heart and Souls. You guys, I saw her. So we have a rundown for every episode that's like the main things that aren't our separate notes that we know we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. And Lauren had already filled in some stuff about Janet and she had Heart and Souls. I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to talk about Heart and Souls. And I was in shock that Jesse knew Heart and Souls <gasps> I because it's not movie. that known. Robert Downey Jr., guys. Yeah, adorably. Adorably, in comedy, Alfred Woodward. Uh, she her, breaks my heart. Charles Grodin, Kira Sedgwick. It's a guy who should be Robert Pastorelli, but yes, that's another story. It's not. Um, um, and music by Mark Shaman. Yep. This guy, if you, I assume most of the people listening to this probably do know Heart and Souls. But if you are listening to this podcast and you have not watched Heart and Souls, go find it. It's a lovely little movie. It's lovely in that 90s wonderful way. However, I then also knew Janet from um, a couple things you hear me talk about a lot, like Murder, She Wrote. Mm-hmm. She was in two episodes. Uh, most importantly, she was in an episode with another of our um, guest actors on Murphy Brown. She was in the Jessica Behind Bars episode mm-hmm. where she also plays a doctor. So the interesting thing about Jessica Behind Bars is that it also co-starred uh, Donna Ponterato, who we met in Why Do Fools Fall in Love as Felicia. And she also was um, in Star Trek, the original series, uh, as Lieutenant Charlene Masters in The Alternative Factor. Gene Roddenberry believed in making a world that was how he wanted the world to be and not what it is right now, which included the the casting of Uhura and this kind of stuff. And so I love that we saw a lieutenant who is a woman of color who was also in that original series. It's not without its faults, but the fact that that, that, that was a place for, for actresses of color to, to work and have significant roles is a beautiful thing. She always played very strong characters, and I realized mm-hmm. that she was also in a 1980 film called For Keeps with Molly Ringwald mm-hmm. that I watched a lot on cable, and it's about a teenage couple um, who get pregnant and try to, you know, they keep the baby and try to live adult lives. Mm-hmm. And it's a comedy, but it's very realistic. Yeah. And I realized that it was this and Murphy Brown that made me see, oh, pregnancy's hard. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't do that. <laughs> Maybe. Not ever, should. just like as a child. Maybe I should consider it before I do things that would make that happen. Just because when we get to talking more about Dan Quayle, it pisses me the hell off that mm-hmm. I, as a 14-year-old, was not smart enough to look at this rich white lady and go, you know what? She messed up and got pregnant. Maybe it could happen to me. Maybe I shouldn't have sex yet. <laughs> Not that I had any opportunities in I was high like, school. I had zero opportunities at that point, so it wasn't even a problem. I had no opportunities. But I'm just saying that this whole idea, yeah, it's a little sidebar that yes. we'll get more about you know, yes. you know, later. So um, Murphy doesn't react very well to that uh, being admonished. No, and my favorite way. part of um, her little sort of, you know, uh, interview type thing mm-hmm. with, you know, the doctor is um, she goes, and it all ends with you just, you know, say, taking their money and going, that's good. You're really growing emotionally. It's the way that Candace says it. Yeah. It's really fantastic. And the doctor goes, good for you, Murphy. And <laughs> Murphy so doesn't confused. get it. She's like, good for me, what? And she just sort of gets this, like, giddy little smile on her face. Like, she's just so giddy. She's just, wait a minute. Well, no, because the doctor says, I'm not dead, am I? That's right, yeah. She says, you were tough on me, and I'm still here. 
and then Murphy, yeah, she gets a smile yeah. on her face. And she doesn't know what to say. She feels great. She feels better than she's felt in a long time. And, you know, she can't believe it's done. She, therapy is pretty much over for Murphy. <laughs> she's like, I can't believe you did that. That was wow. really good. I'm cured. Da, 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 da. <laughs> she's parked in a loading zone. Better get out of there. Yeah. So Which she, I love that she parked and, in a loading And she's like, shakes everyone's hand and does sort of, I called movie star Murphy, you know. Yeah, you can get a set tour. Need <laughs> anything, set tour, let me know, you know, putting on sort of the professional face. and But she leaves and forgets her purse since the doctor points out that maybe she doesn't really want to leave. Uh, you know, Murphy doesn't think that every behavior means something. And I do love this this part, too. Mm-hmm. She goes, as Freud said, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. She gives a really big grin. Mm-hmm. Um, but the doctor gets Murphy to stay, you know, and, and Murphy just is there to listen. You know, she's not going to really say anything. But the next thing we know. What? Mur- I love that they're like, they're, I haven't had any of this dip yet. Oh, the dip part, yeah. And the biker goes, I made it. And then she immediately doesn't want that dip. <laughs> she just leaves the like the piece of uh, like celery in the middle of the dip. <laughs> and Murphy acts like she's not going to say anything, but she immediately just interrupts and goes right into her train dream. Oh, the train. And then the show ends. So to finish off this episode, there was a, a final tidbit from Denise. Denise says, but here's an interesting sidebar. Sai also knew that Candace had nearly suffered from a similar situation as Cabot's in real life. Cabot is the mm-hmm. interviewer we talked about at the top. Sai and I talked about it with Candace over a pre-show dinner one night. That I remember so clearly. Sai and me dressed for the show and gorgeous, glamorous Candace in a fu- fuzzy robe. Anyway, when Candace was still a journalist, she wrote an extensive piece on Oscar Levant, the great musician and wit from the 1940s. She interviewed him once and came back for a follow-up, only when his wife went to get him, she discovered that he had died. Candace was really shaken by it at the time. That was one of my fondest memories of working with Candace, but there were so many. I cannot imagine. And so that's why I just want to give so many props to what Candace does in this episode, because she not only has her excellent acting training behind her, but she also has this excellent writing that gives her stuff. And then she has, she has Frank next to her who's bringing, you know, we have Joe giving her all the stuff. But she also has a very personal experience with something like this. And with any, I have nothing close to what this must yeah, feel like. She could have went, you know what, guys? I don't want to do this story. Yeah. But she knew it was funny. Mm-hmm. And so she, she was, let them do it. But I see a lot of the nuance in what she does in this piece. And there's a lot of nuance. And you know what? Maybe it has nothing to do with it. Maybe she never even connected it on, mm-hmm. on set. But I see a lot of nuance in her performance. And I, I just want to give her a lot of credit. So if uh, you are not following us on social media, we recommend that you do. We're hilarious. We are. We post a lot of really interesting things that we allude to in the episodes Mm -hmm. or news or fun things that people say about Murphy Brown, news on the revival. Mm -hmm. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and the Twitter. The Twitter. At Murphy Brown Pod. You can find our website is murphybrownpod.com. Or if you have thoughts you want to reach out directly, uh, you can email us at murphybrownpod at gmail.com. We'd also love if you could drop us a review on iTunes. It mm-hmm. would mean so much. It's a free way to support the podcast. Mm-hmm. You can you can listen to our Spotify playlist. It's called the Murphy Brown Empowerment Playlist. It's music from and inspired by Murphy Brown. And if you if you don't know how to get to Spotify, we also have a link to that on the website. And if you aren't subscribing to the podcast, please do. Then you don't have to go looking for the episodes. They will download to the device in which you listen to podcasts. Just be waiting for you. You're yeah. welcome. Ding. Ding. And... Our next episode will be episode 20, Summer of 77, one of our personal favorites. And we'll see you next week for another edition of FYI, the Murphy Brown Podcast. (laughs) 